This episode of Desert Island Dishes is sponsored by Nona Tonda. Nona Tonda was set up by husband and wife team James and Rebecca. Back in 2017, they packed up all their possessions and their six-month-old son and traveled around Italy learning how to make the best fresh pasta. And they now deliver fresh pasta and homemade sauces to you. The pasta is made fresh each morning using traditional Italian recipes and all the produce is both locally and seasonally sourced. My personal favorites are the braised beef and porcini peachy and the butternut squash ravioli with a gorgonzola sauce. Just heavenly. <laughs> you can sign up and get weekly deliveries of the most delicious pasta dishes ready to eat in under five minutes. That's fuss-free, delicious meals, making your week just that little bit easier and more delicious. Head to the website www.nonatonda.co.uk to find out more. That's nonatonda, spelled N-O-N-N-A-T-O-N-D-A. And very excitingly, I've got a discount code to share with you. Use the code DESERTDISHES1, that's all capital letters and then the number one, for 60% off the first two dishes. So I hope you enjoy and thank you very much to Nonatonda. Hi, I'm Margie Nomura and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island Dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Surprise! (laughs) I'm back this week with a lovely little bonus episode for you. The season has come to an end, but I couldn't leave you quite that abruptly And I thought we all deserved a little joy in our lives. And Gennaro is walking, talking joy. (laughs) If you're in the need of cheering up, perhaps it's been a long week or something's happened, which means this week has been more full of frowns than usual. I can personally guarantee that Gennaro is going to put a smile on your face. (laughs) We recorded this back in September, but I've been saving it since then for just this occasion and I really hope you enjoy and I promise I will be back soon. My guest today is Gennaro Contaldo. The legendary Gennaro almost doesn't need an introduction. He's one of the UK's most loved chefs. He's widely known as the man who taught Jamie Oliver all he knows about Italian cooking. He spent time entertaining us with the late great Antonio Carluccio on Two Greedy Italians and Channel 4's Jamie's Italy with Jamie Oliver. Referred to as everyone's favorite nonno, he's written more than a dozen best-selling Italian cookbooks. He's worked across and owned some of London's top Italian restaurants, and he regularly appears on TV screens with infectious enthusiasm and energy and a greedy need for good food. In his spare time, he has a passion for whittling walking sticks, which is quite the tongue twister. When asked to describe himself in five words, he has said Italian, passionate, extroverted, loud, and temperamental. When Jamie Oliver was asked what he learned from Gennaro, he said simply everything. Heart, soul, romance, fantasy, just every nice word you can say. Welcome, Gennaro. Thank you. What a lovely word, that lovely boy. Bless him. I love you so much. (laughs) 
And you were, I believe, named after St. Gennaro, the patron saint of Naples. And we're not that far off the feast, which I think is the 19th of September. What will you be eating in celebration? You know, it's the 19, the 19, I was yeah. looking for number 19 all day today. <laughs> 19, yeah, the feast of San Gennaro. In Italy, you know, from the old school, we do not celebrate so much birthday, which now they do it, but celebrate saint named day. It's San Gennaro's big feast, especially in Naples, but I live about nearly 100 kilometers away from Naples. I live in the Murphy Coast. I was born 30 meters above the sea, where the sea was my swimming pool, and the, the back mountains was my playground, and the village where you almost learn everything when you walk through those streets. Especially about midday, when everybody sits on the table, you see all the crockeries moving, a smell on each window with the balcony open, you know, Manlinsana la Parmigiana shouting, where's the Richie, where's the tomato sauce, so it's like that. And then you can smell a charcoal grill outside the balcony, little charcoal grill, which they do that little slice, little what we call them a bistecchina, you know, slice of meat on top on a charcoal, there's a, incredible salad, all the aubergines, all the zucchini, all day, all the smell, and those mozzarella, and those lemon. oh my God. <laughs> well, yes, and let's talk about lemons, because your latest book is a love story to lemons, and in particular, the Amalfi lemon, of course. I read that, first of all, you're never without a lemon. So have you got one with you today? Of course I have. Have you actually? That's it. I have one <laughs> which is coming from oh my, my home. Look, what a beauty. Right. First things, you know, is this is called a sfusato amalfitano because the Amalfi Coast is uh, to smell the lemons, you usually smell the leaves, which they're very good. Uh, you smell the lemon, but to full smell, you put your hands on the lemon and perhaps you can hear it, and then you scratch it. Oh, my goodness. And all the zest. Yeah, I can smell it. And all the zest coming out. And I've got, look, and my fingers are full of this beautiful zest, this nectar, this texture, this gold. I love lemons. Nothing else I can do. Yes, I do. I travel in many parts of the world. and do have lemons. <laughs> and that is true. This is a little bit bigger because I'm brought them yeah, that special. Yeah, that is a big one. Yeah, but I usually have a small one. <laughs> And I heard that you also start the day with lemon in your coffee, which I actually hadn't heard of anyone oh, doing that before. Lemon in a coffee. Is it really good? So common. So you make a lovely cafetiera, the coffee. You just get a little zest of a lemon, just drop it in, and then you can see the zest, which is the oil, start to float it like oil on water. You stir a little bit. I always like my coffee with a bit of sugar inside. I'm sorry. This is what I do. You cut the, the stir and then you drink the coffee. And then the last of the end of the coffee, you have that thin zest, which you put inside your mouth. If there is something better, I don't want to know. And the Amalfi lemon, like the one we've got here, I mean, it's a special kind of lemon because a lemon like that, you could eat it almost like an apple. Couldn't it you? is indeed. Yeah. Well, the lemons like that, you can actually eat it, everything. When you actually you undress the lemon, I love the word undress it, which you cut a little bit the top, you know, this is quite big. This is the only bit the top because it's like, sorry to say the word, it's like nipples. So that is, there is nothing inside there. But the rest, you, you cut it and then you undress with your hands and then you make a stripe little stripes along, and you can make a lovely candied fruit. 
that lemon candy fruit. Just a bit of sugar, boiling water, then remove it dry, just boil them in sugar about two, three times, and they last forever. And the juice of the lemon, the lemons, you eat like an orange, believe me, it's not sharp. It's very healthy. Or you do a lemonade, or you make a cake, or you cook with a fish, with meat, with a pasta, or just ever as it is. It's endless. What do you do with the lemons? It's endless. Lemons is not for just for gin and tonic. All restaurants in the world, one way or the other, they use lemon. And I'm very lucky to were born where there is lemon grows everywhere. Just heaven. And I think I read that your mom, she, one of the desserts that she used to prepare for you was sliced, a sliced lemon, and she'd just sprinkle it with sugar. And the sugar, yes, little slice of lemon. You should try, but good lemons. Please keep away for those wax lemon. First, if you buy wax lemons, yeah, perhaps you get the juice out, but it's very aggressive. But try to keep those wax lemon, a small one, it's forever, because they're so sealed. And the inside, you know, the pole juice and everything is inside, almost mummified. It stays there. There is there's no flavor, no juice. There is nothing. You can't even uh, get the zest out. But buy organic lemons and eat it as they're fresh. You will enjoy it. We got a life to live. You know, if we can eat well, let's try to eat well. But we don't forget that there are some people and many, many around the world they have no excess on food, then we have to remind that. But lemons is in a celebration because it took nearly four months to grow. Yes, because it grows in season. Then you remove it. You can't just chuck them away. Just cook it and celebrate to say thank you to the lemon. You were born in Minori on the Amalfi coast of Italy, as you say, just 30 meters from the sea. By all accounts, the waves are crashing at the window on the night that you were born. So I'm. Yes, it was. I'm looking forward to hearing your first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Well, it is a question of which one uh, is like, a, then you have two children and you ask a mum which you most love. No, it's, it's impossible. I do love all food, but one thing is stuck always in my mind, the weather my father, also the many dishes on my father, used to do a, cook, slow cook, this octopus, which we made a lovely spaghetti with octopus, or just eating the way it was, like this. Or if we, the leftover, we will drizzle some extra virgin olive oil on top, a bit of garlic, a bit of parsley, and loose squeeze of lemons, drizzle of olive oil. Oh my God, that was good. That is always stuck in my mind. I tried many, many times to do like my father was doing because there was no water to do it. Just the, the octopus used to cook in their own juice. And yes, I do. It's fantastic. Exactly the same. But you know what? You can never, never, never manage to get that right down to that test. I think because I was a child, that's memory. They're very hard to recreate it. But I'm near enough. And when asked who taught you to cook, you say it, it was your father. You've said in your words, and these are your words, Gennaro, um, my mother, she was rubbish at cooking. <laughs> she was. <laughs> I might, some of the dishes, it was okay. You I know, think you th said she had two 
good dishes. Yes. And what were those? Yeah, those are lovely. I never see anyone can do a risotto without a steric. She used to do carrots and potato risottos with the celery inside. She used to put everything inside the pot, turn the, well, the gas or the charcoal, depends where, where, where we used to be. And after 20 minutes, she started to stir it. Drizzle of olive oil, not any cheese on the side. That was good. Also, another, she used to do another dish, plain boil, cod, small one, special. She removed very carefully, she removed all the, all the bones inside. Drizzle the olive oil, a little bit of garlic, parsley. Because again, lemon went there. <sighs> yeah, that was the only two. Okay, that but I if you're going to have two, those are two pretty good ones to have. The rest yeah. She was completely rubbish. <laughs> and my father knew it. I think you said that one of the things that made your father such a good cook was his passion for ingredients and only using what was in season, which I think was true of everyone yes. where you grew up. Every season obviously brings something magical. What is your favorite season in terms of cooking and the ingredients it brings? Actually, it is, is autumn. The end of September, October, and November, believe me or not, the three my best months, which I love. The weather starts to change. It starts to get a little bit cold. All the fruit in the tray on the trees were right. Everything goes, which you believe when the spring has come along. Oh, it's spring, everything has come out. Not true. You know, the stuff starts to come out in the summer. You know, the lovely, the end of the peaches. Now you get the lovely juice, the apples, the pears coming out. The walnuts, all the chestnuts start to go down. Go inside the forest, the wood collect all those beautiful wild mushrooms go fishing incredible where i come from those <laughs> lovely sea bass bream you know mussels start to give fields limpets which is good wild herbs is everywhere yes those are the ones i most love and then you feel so cozy because after the weather is not nice you go home you know the special work now i change it a little bit you go home and uh, perhaps you have an open fire only November, lovely months, November, <laughs> and uh, and uh, everything is nice. It's the coziness, also the slow cooking of food for the winter time, which is is marvelous. So also you preserved so much the months of uh, in the summer, the late summer where everything is coming out. You preserve uh, all the aubergines, uh, the gorgettes. Uh, you present sun dried tomatoes, which I do in England when we have the spell of very hot sun. I have done it this year. And then you can retaste again, uh, but Christmas time, when you open a jar of uh, preserved stuff, you always remind you where you bought it or where you find it or where you pick it. And so you remember that particular day. Because the, the original flavor is a little bit disappeared because you have to preserve it in vinegar or in salt or whatever. But the magic to remember the day, the sun, and the freshness and the smell is incredible. On our dreams, we always, I can taste the food in my dream, and also I can smell food on a dream, and I think everybody else do. And then if you close your eyes, mm, and then you remember what's with you. And I think I'm a little bit romantic, but life is, uh, the world... Life, of course, 
and full of so many beautiful people. And you know what? In my aim, I want to meet more. By all accounts, your love affair with cooking started at a very young age, and you started working in the kitchen at just the age of 10 with your father's friend, Chef Alfonso. So let's pause there and talk about the second desert island dish, and that is the first dish you learned to cook. This one I learned to cook. Be difficult to that one as well. Let me tell you the story. The story is quite simple because my father, as I said, he was linen dealer, dealing linen. My mother has to stay inside the shop and he had to see some customers on the hill of the Amalfi Coast. But he took me with him. But one way or the other, he stopped me to the next village of Maiore where he was. I uh, was in a restaurant, it's called Il Falconero, I'll never forget, Black Falcon. I don't know, a strange name. <laughs> because his friend Afonso was there, and from the same town, what a beautiful food they used to do. They said, I could look after me, and they would pick me up in the afternoon. Off I go, and I stay there. But the father picked me up in the afternoon. But that was three years later. No, it was not three years later. <laughs> it was the afternoon he picked me up. But I loved it so much. Then the chef invited me whenever I had some time off, you know, from the school. The school didn't play a big part for me. Very little school I had, but I can speak four or five languages. <laughs> and I stayed there, and I stayed there nearly three years. You know, in three years, you know, I was age of 10, you think you're the best cook in the world by then. Yeah. <laughs> the, my job it was very little job I had to do it. I never used to cook like the chef. I used to assist in him. So, because everything had to be fresh. We had a backyard because his speciality was chicken pollo alla creta. So, you know, chicken cooking clay. Probably is. Then it really was good because all the ordinations. So I had to run on yard inside the yard. And they had to catch the chicken. Oh. <laughs> and very humanely, humanly, yes, because it sells. I had to dispose and then clean it, prepare it. It was fresh, okay? Once it was prepared, I had to bring to him and he started working on it. And then he had this beautiful clay, special clay. He used to rub the chicken inside, inside like a... Um, Ricotta paper, there was no special paper like that. And just put a garlic, rosemary under the breast inside, wrapped with the lemons, lots, lots, uh, different herbs, just to cover it. And then he used to bake them in the oven for about very, very light oven for about an hour and a half. Then he used to go on the table and he used to come back, present them on the table, he used to come back, banging on it. The clay was broke. Oh, my God, the smell. The smell was incredible. And I love it. If I have to say that was one of the first dish I learned to make it, it was not. Because I tried. It's so difficult. <laughs> I couldn't find the right clay. And I came. That was nice. That was the one I really learned how to do it. Yes. And so you moved to London at the age of 19. What was it about London that made you want to move here? So easy. That easy. I don't want to upset anyone. I want to get... You lived in a beautiful place in Amalfi Coast where the world come to see you. So you think you know everything. In those days, 
the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the, the London, so exciting, the weather has changed, the hunting, you know, big forest and everything. Where I come from, there is many, many forests elsewhere. But at 19, you want to move away from your mother and father. You want to be free. You want to go somewhere completely different. You want to keep yourself. You know, is I want to now. I want to earn. I'm big enough. I I want to travel the world, make love and all world. Yes, that's me. You know, <laughs> in a way. And I moved. I loved it. I just loved London. Then I went back to Italy, and then come back again. And then after that, so many stories come up, and I stayed. And I do. Love London, such an exciting city. But I love all over England. Very lucky to travel all over. In London, I th- then I did have freedom. I always had that freedom. There is a kind of a magic. And many times they ask me, I cannot explain that I'm magic. I just love it. And the food scene in London at that time, sort of during the 70s, was very different to what we have now. I think Italian food in the UK wasn't what you would call authentic <laughs> yes but aside from being a little bit shocked at what you saw did you see that as a potential op- opportunity for you to sort of make a mark and, and show us how it's done tried very hard tried very hard back and forward you see what's happened in those days when i came in the 17 the old restaurant it was dominated by the french which is lovely food we love oh my god i do love it you know i even if uh, there was in a uh, an English restaurant, or even Italian restaurant, they always had something right in French. That was very good. But also, there, there was kind of opportunity, a lot of cafe to open up, lots and lots of restaurants. And some of them improvise as a cook. But they used to cook, you know, perhaps they call uh, Luigi, and they would have done a chicken, it's called Luigi chicken. And you think, oh my God, what are things? Lot pasta, most there was spaghetti. Lot tomato sauce, that is not trouble at all. And then there was so many different unknown Italian dish to me because they used to make up. There was good, you know, there was strange lasagna, you know. It's always we around the pasta. There was strange way of cooking fish, but it was good. Everything was, was fresh, was actually the fish and the, the meat was more fresh. But there was not authentic Italian food. And uh, I remember I went to work in a restaurant in my fair. And uh, the owner and the chef showed me how to do a carbonara. I knew how to do carbonara in Italy, not because we eat carbonara everywhere, you know. You know, Amalficos is not just uh, the sea and a flask of wine or ice cream. We go to Manson, we go to land, because... And he said, let me show you, this is one I'm doing today. And then I said, okay, love here carbonara. In those days, they used to love carbonara as well. Like, nah, they never stopped. And said, right, first of all, we make a bechamel. Okay, I was listening. We make a cheese sauce, he said, most of the Right, then it's the spaghetti, which was already pre-boiled. Yes, pre-boiled. Yeah, I think there's still some place. Pre-boiled, okay, then drizzle will be oil inside in the fridge. Hot water, so when actually you do that, you know, you get the spaghetti, then you put them in the water, warm it up a little bit, spoon of uh, bechamel sauce on top, which uh, we call, uh, call salsa di formaggio, saute a little bit, 
account was mixed. I can't remember. It was mixed with thing. And I said, then I looked and I said, well, I don't think it's the right one. He used to, he used to call them a kind of style. I have to say, used to, he never used to say the right, the full word of a carbonara style on the carbonara. Oh, okay. His style. And yeah, I remember that. I said to him, look, I can show you how simple it is to make it. I said, yeah, I showed it to him. He said, there's your jacket there. I said, yeah, I think you should work here. <gasps> this is what they like here. And uh, so I left. And there was somewhere else. I was, uh, I was so, so sad after a week because they were showing me the food that they were cooking. And I said, yes, yes, yes. But when I come to the cooking, I have to do my way. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, no, you can't do that. I said, but this is, this is a proper way. And some other place, you know, there's so many dish comes from my regions, which I never see before. They used to make up. And then slowly, 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 it was a bit difficult. You know, one day I stopped. I said, no, this is impossible. Like many other chefs, which are very, very good. So met Antonio Carluccio. And Antonio is insisting everything. He used to complain that the rubbish restaurant used to do it. But there were restaurants in those. Then later on, there was fantastic restaurant, the proper, proper Italian food they used to do it. I can name quite a few, but that's my... And then slowly, slowly, we started from there, from there when... I have so many questions about your time with Antonio, but let's pause there and talk about the third desert island dish, and that's the best dish you've ever eaten. I have to go back to my father again. My father, it was maestro of cooking. You know, he was, he was not chef, but he used to get a flavor. And he cooked my roast hearty chocolate which I do all the time as society chucks. The house was always full of smoke. It cooked in charcoal. And then he told me what to do. Still, then he died over 15 years ago. He said, when you go buy artichoke, buy. First of all, have a look. If he's old inside, how do you tell? Just bang him upside down. Put your finger inside. If you get your finger prickling, it's told a lot air inside. Ah. It's like a fungal, right? Yeah. <laughs> then he used to remove it from everything inside, all the hairy bits, and he used to dress all the leaves with the garlic, a little bit of anchovies, olives, capers, a lot of parsley, a bit of tomato, and then he used to put them on a griddle with, with a bowl on top, kind of a bowl, but the smoke was everywhere, and just turn it, turn it, and then all the leaves, they used to burn, but then he used to remove all those leaves, which they will burn, trace it with extra virgin olive oil on top, and put them in a place. That was one of the best dish ever, artichoke, which I do all the time. No, now nah, I do in different, I poached mine and do in different way. Too much smoke in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so your friendship with the legendary Antonio Coluccio began when you went to work at his famous Neil Street restaurant. He was obviously a very good friend, but started off as your boss. And I wondered what lessons did you learn from him during that time? Antonio Gaulucci was unbelievable. My God. Because Antonio was not a cook. He could cook, but he was not a cook, which he can go inside the kitchen and do a service. Okay. But he knew what it's all about. He had such a knowledge of Italian cuisine. He was born inside of Italy in Vietri Solmari, in Amalfi Coast. And when he was a very young age, he moved 
in Torino uh, when he moved in Ivrea with his father he used to be a train master and so to have a father from south to have a mother from north so he gathered so much knowledge he even was on the army as well and uh, he loved food he loved so much food because he moved in, in uh, Vienna in Austria so he learned so much about food and history food it was incredible and then when actually I went to work at the New Street restaurants because we had the same passions. We shared the same passion of whatever we were doing of food. He said, if I won't work there, because I went in and I brought him a basket of wild mushrooms. When in those days you can pick mushrooms. Now you can't pick them anymore. They say you destroy the forest, you do this, you do that. So let somebody else do it. But now and again, with the permissions, you know, I like a few mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Hardly have any time, but it's one of my hobby. Yeah, off we go, Antonia. And then he said to me, right, fantastic. Now I said to him, fantastic, let's do it. He would criticize all the restaurant, Antonio was there. He said, let's do it, some original recipe. Let's put them in the menu. And those recipes, a lot of them was from South. And then he changed, you know, there was a fantastic chef, bless him. I loved him so much. He was a Spanish chef, a Basque, still alive. He must have been 96 years old, uh, Santiago Gonzalez. He took me on his wing. And it was because he knew how to do the French cuisine and I knew how to do the Italian. It, it very much helped me to recreate all the dish with Antonio was doing. So we started to make all the fresh pasta there every single day, make fresh pasta, all this lovely sauce. And then I just make bread also in the morning, all our bread. And we introduced the focaccia in England. Wow. Yes, we did. We did this everywhere. So. And the best time was when uh, we opened a uh, Carluccio. And I used to make so many different focaccia. Because being traveling all over Italy, because I also used to travel with Antonio, so Antonio said to me, right, we need to get something, something really, you know, uh, attractive. So I said, why don't we do a focaccia? It took us six months to, to develop one that people really buy all the times with the rosemary and garlic. And when that focaccia catched up everybody, I never forget, there's still the paper around if you look at the time. And I said to Antonio, right, I said to the, 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 the journalist is going to come down, but I don't want him late because I'm busy. Can I come down six o'clock at the New Street? Yes, they did. They brought all the light. You know, the photographer was there and I showed step by step how to make it. And I was doing it. And uh, but a couple of weeks later, double spread page, you know, Carluccio, you know, said one of the most marvelous focaccia, so and so and so. I was very proud and then I opened up and I was my hands making it, Antonio. Oh, no. <laughs> I got so upset. Oh, no, I, there I... is no single word on me there. Oh, no. I, that's, no. All, that's all right. I don't mind. <laughs> you know, but because we were so good friends, we can't do without one each other. You know, and... Uh, you were a team. Yeah, we were a team. So we... And the focaccia just flow. When all over the world. Also, we used to teach so many other people. Yeah. Oh, that must have been so exciting. He's such a lovely man. Oh, my God. No, no, I missed him. I missed him. Missed him. Missed him so much. Artila, when I cook something and uh, sometimes 
is something missing. I always going to look in his book and I find it. Let's pause there and talk about the fourth desert island dish. And that is your favorite sandwich. <clears throat> it's a sandwich. Yes, I've got a few of those as well. There is, uh, because also I was kind of a baker and my uncle Alfonso, again, Alfonso in Minori, he used to have a, the old fashioned bakery. So on the hills of the Amalfi Coast, then they used to prune, so the vine, the olives, whatever. So, and they used to do bundles, it used to dry. And then with the donkey, they used to bring down a village. And in exchange, then some they want the money in exchange, some they wanted the bread. So my uncle, wood fire oven, which I do have, have two wood fire oven. So I used to burn all the lovely wood with the smell. I used to bake it. And they used to smell, make a little, what we call them, a kind of lumakine, a snail. That was all slow, crude bread. And I used to fill those with the sun-dried tomato, which probably we done it, or perhaps somebody else was doing it, and or aubergines, or perhaps preserved food, preserved tuna, and we are preserved tuna, with the olives, or lovely small cherry tomato, which is crushed on top. This olive oil with the garlic, Lotto oregano, dry oregano. That was four of my favorite sandwiches, but the one I most like it with the aubergines. Aubergines, a sun-dried tomato is, I still do it. I love it. Love it. And I can't even dream. That is my sandwiches, one my panino. But you know what? I'm traveling around the world and especially in the airport, you do find it. And sometimes I say, that is my sandwiches, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> Never the same. Never the same. I have to say, Gerard, that does sound better than the cheese sandwich that you get down the local Tesco's, doesn't it? Mamma mia, mia, mamma mia. Yes, I agree with you. So now let's move on to talk about your relationship with Jamie Oliver. You've said that your father always believed that Jamie was actually your son, your sixth child, and so much so that he left Jamie wine in his will. It is. Sometimes the question was asked me because don't forget that Jamie loved him as a nonno. He used to call him a nonno. Uh, he went filming there as well. And every time I go see uh, my father, you know, always give me something to give to Jamie. One day he asked me, he said, why the boy is so blunt? Because Jamie once used to be blunt. I said, Daddy's mom was blonde. Ah, oh, <laughs> nice looking. Yes. Poor <laughs> woman, you know. Because it's nothing else we can do, you know. We made him a believer right at the end. And every time back and forward, always the corner of the house used to be a few boxes. I said, don't forget that that is for Jamie. And then I said, okay. I looked at those boxes. I knew they were wine. I said, I don't think we need some wine to bring them in the country, to bring them back. In those days, you can travel. Also, many times I went filming with YouTube or perhaps uh, for the TV or whatever. And every time it was, Father said, don't forget, that's quite a few bucks of that. And then I never took back in England. So my father passed away. I went straight away there. So the funeral is only lasted for one day. They do quickly. 
you pass away today, tomorrow you're already buried. This is the Lord. And, okay, then after we went back, and, you know, I was with my sister, and my sister knows the Jamie. I said, yeah, this is what the nonno was supposed to send her to Jamie never took. So I looked inside, and there was old vintage proper wine. Vintage, God knows how many bottles. There was five, six boxes, maybe more. Oh, just pick them up. One, 90, it's about some, there was 55 or years old, 25, 13, 40, all different wine. I, I, you know, you just want to grab it. I looked and uh, I said, okay, which way are we going to do it? Then I went back in England, so we had to go back in Italy again for filming. And when we actually we traveled down, we traveled all the equipment inside the van. So on the way back, bring all that stuff for those days, put them all inside, and I looked them all. I wrapped each one in white tissue paper, put it back, and I went to Gemma and said, this is what Nonno left to you. And then he opened up and said, where is it? I even left all the dust, everything, went, and you have to open it. And they did. Some, nothing wrong. Some, there was, there was quite old. There was an entire collection. I don't know where he got him from. The entire collections of all over Italy. God knows how many bottles. You know, something you want to put them on display. He, he kept some, I know. So Jamie has described meeting you at Neal Street after being told if he wanted to learn more about pasta, then he needed to find a way to work with you. And he sort of desperately wanted to be near you, but everyone in the restaurant kind of kept him away from you. And they thought it was because he was so passionate about meeting you that actually he might be after trying to steal your bread recipe. (laughs) This is what Antonio was thinking. (laughs) No, Jamie was already... Don't forget, I've been in the kitchen at the age of 10. Jamie been in the kitchen before me. How? So simple. Trevor and Sally, his mum, used to have a pump. Pump used to have a restaurant. You know, when Jamie was born, one way or the other, he had to go inside, even small baby, inside the kitchen. Perhaps old Sally, older than Jamie, perhaps, I don't know. So slowly, slowly, you know, I remember Jamie was telling me that at the age of eight, he used to run up and down the kitchen. So you can see he was learning. He was very talented. When people say, uh, lovely people, I have to say, yes, then uh, he learned everything from me. It was not true because Jamie already knew how to cook and he already had the knowledge of the way to do it. You know, he already worked in the kitchen. I forget, he was a good age. And so he wanted to learn Italians. And uh, I looked at him. It's long story. I said the first day I met him, that is long. I think we passed that one because he's so beautiful. So he had this kind of, the other, he was already talented, but he wanted to see the way I'm making bread, the way I'm making souls. And when we took Jamie, Jamie had a job with pastry chef. So he was almost the first one in, almost the last one out. And because I was busy with Antonio, because Antonio, we had to go filming with him. He always wanted Tony to be with him, and, you know, and I always went with him. So sometimes 3 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you know, after the, the, last, uh, the last order coming in, and so if I was busy in the day, 
So I used to get in. Also, I used to work so hard. So Jamie really wanted a game, and he tried to gain, but Antonio, he stopped. He, he said, I don't know why he stopped. Perhaps he don't want to associate everyone the way I make his stuff or something like that. that was silly. I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps, you know. And so I looked at him, and the Jamie was helping me every night before he used to finish his shit, you know, he used to make sure clean everything, prepare in the morning. Then he used to prepare the Moody's trays. So you pick up all these trays. Then I had to pick up myself in the morning. He used dust with the bread crumbs because I had to put the bread in, on top, open up the sauce, and he used to make a little drawing, you know. Sometimes I was a yeah. funny, funny one. <laughs> he I think he little... said every tenth tray he would draw a funny picture. <laughs> and then, so when I come down in the morning, you didn't have to waste time to go around. I was very pleased, and he always asked me, and one day, I said, you know what, Seth, come down. He said, why? Shall I come down one o'clock or just stay here? For I said, you must be joking. No, I said. I said, you start about 10 o'clock or you start at 9 o'clock or start at 8 o'clock. Let's do this one. You come down about 6 or 5 and then by 7, 8, you know, you go home, go wash, you clean it and come down. Can I come on day off? I said, do you really want it? And then every day, same story, then... I looked at him and I said to myself, oh my God, I've got so much experience in this rustic food, nothing extraordinary. And I never find a soul like a Jamie, somebody like a Jamie that really wanted to learn. Let's give it to him. So I took under my wing. And from those early mornings we stayed together, we become like a father and son. It was such a marvelous friendship. And you know what? He steals now, but it's more and more and more. It's now it's the other way around. He's been look after me. It's incredible if I tell you the way he's doing it. He always makes sure. Every morning we send him a message, a little emoji message to see what we actually were doing. And it was good. It was such a wonderful time. It's got so many stories to tell. And uh, yeah, he's been like a father and son. I think he went over. It's more than that. When he left, he never left because he always was there. He was also, at the beginning of everything, he always made sure that I was okay. Mm. And I always made, until now, every single day. I was working with him last week, really joyful. And we've done so many things together, so much filming for YouTube, so many parties, you know, so much recipe on everything. And, you know, we love it. He said to me, one day, I want you to come and to live with me. See, that has got a beautiful house. It's got a little tower there in the house. He said, that make up so nice. And then you can stay that. And then I can squeeze all those lovely <laughs> recipes. <laughs> Bless him. Isn't that amazing, though? Because I think sometimes you, it is really helpful to see yourself through someone else's eyes because you, you know what you know. But then when someone else really appreciates it, you kind of see yourself in a new yes, way. Or... Yes, yes, yes. In ways, I do because I was wild. Not because he's wild. In a way, we do that the care, the love, the passion, the celebration of each ingredient. This is what Jamie is. I was me. I was good to, you know. And he's got more knowledge than me, of course, because he travels more, doing more. 
uh, you know, the flavor of the test is there. And, uh, and then you stand it back. I said, oh my God, then I used to be like him once. <laughs> then I still am. And then when you speak to him, you know what? He always said to me, no true, no true is the best. Nah. Let's pause there and talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. The dish most often? Well, lots and lots of pasta. Why not to make nice little fresh tagliatelle with garlic, little chili. Boil the pasta three minutes. Then you have a little bit of butter, a little bit of olive oil. Yes, I'll tell you why butter I need. And then saute and then squeeze little juice of lemon. Another extra little bit of butter to cream it. Little bit of a parmigiano reggiano. Hallelujah. Pasta limone. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Let's talk about your latest book, Gennaro's Limoni. Is that probably a terrible act? Limoni is <laughs> Sorry. Limoni is lemons. Yeah, we can say Gennaro Limone. My God. It was years, 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 years I want to do right to that book. And you got to go back to your hometown to shoot part of the book, which must have been lovely. Making cookery books uh, is not like a writer novels. There is uh, so many stages you have to go. First, you have to write the book. Then you have to try all the recipe. God knows how many times. Then you have to send him out. They have to receive feedback. And once you're done with everything, you have to choose which one. They have to go in. You never want to chuck them away anything because they're all good. And then you have to do a photo shoot. And then you have to go location. Takes nearly one and a half years. Wow. Yes. At the end, uh, right. I said, we need those beautiful pictures. We need to go there because a location, you catch it. And we can do some of the recipe as well. So David Loftus is an incredible photographer. He always do most of the books. And so off we gone. We went in Italy. We had all the paper done, you know, the, the quarantine. We had to do everything. When we managed to get our freedom, so off we went there, everybody with a mask, you know, they have to be careful of everything. But it was at the beginning, it was so-and-so. So we, we had a kind of a freedom. But there was one trouble. What? The season of lemon finished. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. We couldn't get any lemons. We looked to one each other. And because the lemon everywhere... So my friend Valentino in Positano is his factory make limoncello, small factory make limoncello. He said, I got a few trees which I kept the lemons there. And somebody else in Amalfi, Positano, Minoria said, let me get at the end we managed to get one of the first season lemons. First season, they're not nice like that, nice and big like that. Now I almost go out of the seasons. Uh, they're a little bit green, they're between the green and yellow. So we received quite a bit from everywhere. The green grosser, always a Murphy lemon we're talking about. When somewhere where uh, they transport all the lemons, they manage to get a few boxes. And if you actually look on the front cover of, uh, of the book, there is me holding this massive basket which was quite heavy. I had to put something underneath to that. And the lemons, some of them are green and some of them are yellow because some they kept like orange in a tree for a long time and some, the, the first season, 
but we managed. We managed, and each recipe it was incredible. So everybody in my hometown, the contributing, even at the barber, the barber which used to have a shave and lemons, as even him, he brought a nice basket of lemons for me because he had some land with a lemon grow. And we took some picture while they were shaved some outside the door. And then on my balcony in my, my mom's house, we filled it up with all these lemons. And David Lofter, he was there, took so many pictures. At the end, you know what? I think it was better like that. Yeah. But with the, all the rest, the pavilion groups, all the, the, everybody else gone and everyone else, they, they missed all this, you know, because they really wanted to come down. I felt so bad. I felt so bad they couldn't make it. At the end, we spent four, five days. I stayed a little longer. I said, you know, I want to stay a little longer. David Lofter left because he had to go another shoot. The book is marvelous. I, you know, we, we looked to one each other said, and then we finished the rest of the recipe when he came in London. It's funny how stuff works out, isn't it? Like so often things feel like they're falling apart and then actually the end product is way better than it ever would have been if you hadn't sort of faced those challenges along the way. Let's pause there and talk about the sixth desert island dish. And that is your go-to dinner party dish. Dinner party dish? I'm going to make a dinner party. Yes. Oh, gosh. Do you throw dinner parties? Yes, when, when there is need. Not now, because we are... Oh, yes. Dinner party, because there's so many people. You see, from, uh, from uh, a cook, from an Italian cook, they all spec the pasta. But we will make incredible, so many different anti-pasta. Uh, we start with a tomato, dried, preserved vegetable, salami, prosciutto, mozzarella, burrata, pecorino, parmigiano. Well, good, lovely parmigiano, proper one. And uh, surely, because there are quite a lot of peoples, you know, probably I will make uh, like a parmigiano, aubergine parmigiana, with a slowly with a mozzarella, basil again, Amazon goes on top. And then we make a massive pasta baked with a lovely crisp goes on top. I, that's, I will make a, quite a kind of a ketta where I will do a nice big porchetta, slow cooked for about five, six, seven hours, depends. I done one the other day. And, uh, and I will serve on agrodolce, agrodolce, sweet and tangy, red pepperoni with a bit of vinegar, garlic, capers, all the rest of the stuff. I will mix so many different drinks, lots and lots of wine. It's going to be an incredible, you know, a salad so we don't get all the lettuce. I can find, uh, okay, lots also salads of Pulses like chickpeas, like lentils, like a cannellini beans, which I will cook in many different ways, and so and so and so. I will have a really massive, massive, because the people you invite for a party, they're the people you most love, and you celebrate and let you celebrate whatever the best you have or whatever you can afford, because as I said again. No, everyone can do it, and we have to really respect, and there won't be no food left over. I prefer make not enough than enough, because I don't want to chuck away anything. In my house, we never chuck anything at all. We keep everything, even the breads, make lovely bread ground, 
incredible. Everything I have never, never checked. I believe I'm from the old school because in my house, there was nothing left. They always bread. There was nobody throwing away bread. My God. Lemons. Lemons is incredible the way we used to work. It was so accessible. That was everywhere. Would you serve a pudding at one of these amazing... Of course I would serve yeah. a million. What would you serve? Yes. Do you know what? I really like one of my, my traits. One is the tiramisu, which I can make. Tiramisu is not something we used to do when I, on my young age, because tiramisu, everybody, every regions, every region, region, sorry, on Italy swear they invented it. When I was cook and I was working in Italy, I can hardly hear the tiramisu. Really? Yes. And more than anything, I discovered slowly, slowly through the years. And every region say, I invented, I invented, I invented. When somebody asked me, you know, who invented I say, I invented. Everybody say that, you know. Probably, like, you know, a lovely tiramisu. I will make a limoncello tiramisu with a fantastic limoncello. This is where I come from. And so all the lemon zest. Or I will make one which I really love with tart. Ooh. Wheat, yes, a wheat. You boil the wheat. It's to celebrate. It's, it's from my regions. You boil the wheat. Once you boil the wheat, then you mix with ricotta, candied fruit, very good organic eggs, and then you do a pastry, and then you pour everything inside the pastry. You lots and lots of zest of lemons because they require a lot of zest of lemon. And you stripe on top with a pastry, zigzag, zigzag, and you bake it inside the oven for about 35 minutes. You let it cool down and have to be really cooled down. Slice it and then you serve on a nice lemony cream, which you make it. But I'll have to Google lemon if you know you don't make it. Wow, that sounds delicious. It is delicious. My God, it's, it's very, very odd. Sometimes, you know, I, you know, the other day I cooked double jeans with the chocolate. Really? I posted out on my Instagram. How so, did it go? oh my God, that, the very, very, it's, it's an old re- recipe. It comes uh, from not far from where I live. The fryer used to do those. Okay. But in many, and then I discovered in many parts of the world, they do something like that. Gennaro, on Desert Island Dishes, we have a cookbook corner. So I'd love for you to tell me, what is your most treasured cookbook? I am sorry, but, you know, it sounds a little bit if I wanted to say, you know, but the first book of Jamie. Oh, really? The Naked Chef, because I'm there everywhere. Such a lovely recipe. And then again... Antonio Carluccio, that is a nice book as well. Why don't we have the two there? Yeah, those are two good options. Two, two options, yeah. And now we're on to the final seventh desert island dish, and that is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Yes, I would probably have a dos octopus. My father made it. Yes. And would you have a pudding? Probably if I can. I will have a tiramisu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, well, that sounds delicious. And with that, we will cast you off to the desert island. Gennaro, those were your desert island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you to invite me. You brought me so much memory back. Bless you. And thank you. Thank you, Gennaro. So there we have it. Another delicious day of desert island dishes. 
And now a mini call to action. If you have ever enjoyed listening to Desert Island Dishes, perhaps you've been with me from the beginning or maybe you're new here. So happy to have you all here. But what I wondered is if you have been enjoying the show and you've never left a review before, I would so love it if you might be able to spare a minute to head to iTunes and leave a review as it really does make a difference. You're also brilliant at spreading the word and sharing the podcast on social media. So thank you because it really does make such a big difference and doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Nona Tonda. Don't forget to make use of the discount code they kindly gave us to remind you it's Desert Dishes 1 and you get 60% off your first two dishes. Thank you so much for listening and I will be back soon. Bye.